Hey, it's your host, Brittany, and welcome to the Mom Sweat Sanity Podcast, where we talk all things life, health, fitness, kids, relationships, you name it, nothing is off the table. A little bit of just me and a whole lot of knowledgeable guests. So throw on your Lulus to run or to mom, grab yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, and join us as we unpack life's pressing topics and learn a little bit more of the who, what, whys of it all. Or at the very least, get real, share some wisdom, and grab practical tips to help in our daily lives. When someone gives you the diagnosis less than a year, you live those 365 days a whole lot differently. You know, like you're just like, don't sweat the small stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I need to remind myself of these lessons often because like my house goes disarray and I'm like, this is important, everybody clean up. And, and then I'm like, your kid died. Like just be present in the moment with your children. And so, you know, it's this constant battle and juggle. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today. Today I got to sit down with the lovely Jessica Jensen. Jess is an author, speaker, and founder of the Love for Lewiston Foundation. She is also a proud mama to three beautiful babies, one Lewiston now in heaven, and a wife to her husband, Hot Ronnie. We dove into all things Hot Ronnie, bringing the joy, Justin Timberlake, and love for Lewiston. Tune in today. Okay, well, welcome here to Jessica Jensen. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Jess, please just dive in. Maybe we can just give a little welcome to you and thank you for being here and give us a little about who you are. As I chew broccoli, that's how I'm doing. <laughs> I'm going to be eating my lunch while we record a podcast. So I'm Jess. As you can tell, I cram and jam and do all the things in a day. And, you know, people ask me, I say my most dreaded question is like, so what do you do? I'm like, give me an hour of the day and then I'll tell you. And I think that's like every mom, you know, it's like, what don't I do? But for sure, I'm an author, a speaker and, uh, you know, a coach. I wrote a book called Bring the Joy. We have an apparel company, which is incredible, a foundation that honors my sons who passed and keeps his legacy alive and burning bright. And I do a bunch of kind of different things in between, but I've really crafted this incredible life of getting to do things that light my heart up and are truly things that I'm passionate about that I feel honored and privileged that I get to show up and do. Oh, so amazing. I'm so excited to definitely tap in on a few of those things. Book, apparel line. I'm rocking the uh, Dream Big sweatshirt here today. Yeah, love it. Love it. So, oh, so good. So we'll definitely get into all of that. But maybe can you tell us a little bit about Love for Lewiston? I think, as you said, your son, obviously, Lewiston. I'd love to learn a little bit more about this and I guess your advocacy work around rare disease and forming from his legacy. Oh man. I mean, it's so crazy. Like, I mean, rare disease, I would have like, Oh, you're like, Oh, rare disease. You think of like some skin disease that like, is like, Oh, gross. And you know, you wouldn't have any clue about it. But the way I got familiar with rare disease was um, when I moved to Calgary in 2007, I met these two incredible kids. I talk about them all the time. Their names are Sean and Schneer. They were four and six. And I felt called to help them. I got this nudge on my heart. And so I was like, met their parents and I started helping this family. And I learned that they had this rare disease called spinal muscular atrophy, SMA in short. So they couldn't walk, you know, they lose the ability, but they were still really functioning. You know, they got tired easy. You had to get the help them get dressed and adjust them. And it gave me this whole new appreciation for life. And nine years after meeting them, you know, we just finished fundraising 40, I think it was like 44,000. So almost $50,000 for wheelchair accessible van. And my own son gets the damn diagnosis. 
Like, I mean, talk about irony. I don't know if you can swear on your podcast, but the four yeah, go for words it. <laughs> that I used was like, fucked. Like, it was yeah. fucked. I was like, what? Like, I just finished fundraising all this money. No one has ever heard of this disease. It doesn't run in our family. And our son, you know, most people struggle with getting pregnant. My problem is, is that me and my husband look at each other and we get pregnant. <laughs> so we have our daughter. I get pregnant with my son. Like, I mean, your vagina is still just trying to reshape <laughs> form and um also you'll hear me I just say it all like there's no good please have otter (laughs) you're just like you're like oh that one time we looked at each other and had sex boom that's the day we made Lewiston nine months later he pops out and wet two and a half months he gets diagnosed with this rare genetic disease after a pediatric neurologist said oh I'm 99% sure that your son does not have this disease and I was like, well, I'm going to kill you. Like, just so frustrated. Because you're like, mm-hmm. we literally just had a doctor say that this was not even a possibility or not even on his radar. And now it's the disease that my son's living with. And in 2016, there's no cure. There's no treatments. There's just clinical trials. And literally, they deliver that news and they say, there's nothing we can do for you. Our goal and our job is just to make Lewiston as comfortable as possible. And we don't think he'll make his first birthday. And as a mom, you're like, Ugh. Like just everything knocked out of you. I remember being on the floor. I remember feeling hopeless. I mean, I'm using every choice word there is in the English dictionary at God, you know, just beat down, frustrated. We end up shifting our perspective and, you know, making a stake in the sand and said, whatever we do, we're going to have fight if Lewiston has fight and we will bring the joy to his life, whether it be, you know, till he's, you know, 80 or if it's just until he's, you know, six months. And I was so convinced we were going to prove the doctors wrong. We didn't. The doctor's like, okay. And I'd be like, no, you just wait. You just wait till my son's playing little league and I'm going to be buying you a hot dog and a Coke. Like I just had this vision, you know, I held hope in both camps, one that he would live in another camp where, you know, I had to be okay and make peace that he could pass and that this would be it. And so November 22nd, 2016, Lewiston goes up to heaven. It was a beautiful experience as much as death can be really ugly and horrible. And um, we had this gift of knowing like you're like when someone gives you the diagnosis less than a year, you live those 365 days a whole lot differently. You know, like you're just like, don't sweat the small stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I need to remind myself of these lessons often because like my house goes disarray and I'm like, this is important, everybody clean up. And, and then I'm like, your kid died. Like just be present in the moment with your children. And so, you know, it's this constant battle and juggle. But through all of that and his journey, I knew that spending his first birthday party, you know, that's a big milestone. It's like you get the cake and the cake smash and you have this Pinterest worthy backdrop that every other mom, like moms like me that don't do that, want to punch you in the face because you planned it out and you're organized. And I'm like, oh shit, we need to order a cake for a kid. But I just knew I didn't want to spend that birthday sitting at home crying, being like, my son's dead, which was our reality. And so we gathered a group of friends and because we're business owners, our accountant was like, I think you should just start a separate account and like, let's just do some paperwork. Maybe you raise more than 10 grand, you know, just to keep it clean. We're like, okay. Next thing you know, we raised 42 grand in his first birthday. I'm like, we can do 40 grand. Let's raise a hundred. We raised a hundred grand in eight months. That snowballs into a 2018 raising over 258,000. That then snowballs into us saying, okay, 
you know, 2019, we raised a whole bunch more funds. And then in 2020, we're like, let's go hit our million dollar mark. And so to date, the Love for Liston Foundation, which honors our beautiful and amazing son, Lewiston, has raised over a million dollars. We funded a newborn screening pilot project here in the province of Alberta. We're hoping that nationally, every province will roll this into their program. It's still in progress. It's not moving fast enough. And then we help fund families um, that have critical needs, whether that be a new wheel chair, a hospital bed, physiotherapy, extra child care. There's just so many stressors that people don't even think about when you have a medically fragile child. And the foundation was born out of a position that when we were fighting for Lewiston's life, I was so frustrated and upset at the system. Like I kept on having to prove myself and I kept on feeling like I had to justify why I needed help. I'm like, my son's terminal. And if you're not watching him, he dies because his airway can close off or he can choke on his own saliva and they wouldn't fund us. They were like, no. And so we stayed. We never got to bring our son home. I had to, we stayed in a hospice. We lived in the hospice as a family. My husband would commute to and from the hospice, not our home, because there's no way as two parents with a toddler or a daughter yeah. was you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 months at the time that you can also care for a toddler, running a home, operate cook meals, and make sure your son doesn't die and choke on his own saliva. And so out of that frustration, out of that pain, I finally, like, if I could have, and if I'd go back, I literally would, I would flip the table. I'd be like, and be like, F you, I'm going to just go take care of my son. I didn't say that. I excused myself. I used my manners and was polite, but I just said, I'm like, I'm done fighting, trying to prove that I deserve the funding. I'm just going to go spend the time that I do have with my son. And I just don't want other families to have to go through that. And so we fund Alberta mm-hmm. Children's Hospital because we received incredible care and we, fund families. And then we're funding research because we believe that when you can fund research that I believe in my lifetime, we will see a cure and that no kid will suffer from SMA again. Oh my gosh. I have like goosebumps. I'm not just listening to you talk just with all that you have obviously experienced and all the lessons that you have to pull, just listening to you, you are such a light and it's so amazing to hear you speak. And no wonder you have hit that $1 million mark. And beyond. I believe that you are going to, you know, smash boundaries and keep going. So amazing work. I got good at asking rich people for money. And then people that are rich, I'm just like, you got five bucks. You should make a donation. Like I'm just, now I'm just shameless. I'm just like, here we go. It's when you make a check and it's worked. It's served because I've asked. That's one thing I've definitely learned. The more you ask, that's the scariest part, right? Half the time is like, oh God, I got to do this. Once you get over that hurdle of asking and the no fear, no shame, especially when it's something you believe in. So good for you. Mm -hmm. I wish more women would know that more moms would know that ask. I learned that the lesson of asking for help and it's almost my husband's embarrassed. So like, if I need something, I will just go out and ask it. We have these friends and their big joke is, is like, make sure you get Jessica bubbly from the way because we are leaving. And you know, as you're leaving for someone's house, you don't say, hey, can I have a drink for the road? I do. I'm well, road pop. <laughs> I was like, mom wants a bubbly water. I'm just going to ask for it. And they love it. And now it's this joke, but it's like, if you need help, just go ask for it. There's no shame in that. But I think we associate that. And I found so much freedom in just being like, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. Can you help? Does someone know? Could you provide me with a contact? And people in the world are so good. They want to, we're helpers inherently. We just are. Yeah. 
I think that there's also like this underlying fear of judgment or saying the wrong mm-hmm. things, especially these days. And I was listening to you live the other week on Instagram, mm-hmm. having a conversation about the right things to say. And so I'm going to ask you this mm-hmm. instead of the, how are you, you know, how do we deal with that? Especially when someone is dealing with such grief. So what is the state of your heart? And you said that, and it just really resonated with me because I'm like, okay, is that a proper term? You know, how are you? Doesn't do jack shit for most of us because do you want the quick surface answer or do you want actually to know how I am today? Well, and isn't that, I think because we've asked that question so often, how are you? Like, it's like, oh, great to see you. How are you? And then we have these surface level conversations with, I don't got time for surface level bullshit anymore. Like too short, I'm over it, I'm done with it. How are you? I'm great, I'm living the dream. How are you? You know what, having a shitty day. We got a cancer diagnosis, my dryer kicked out, my kids are driving me crazy. Still means I'm good, but I'm having a day. And it's like when we start to check in and allow space. On one of the lives I did, one of the conversations that I had is, is like, you can ask the question, like, how are you? Like, how's the state of your heart? Not just how are you and end it, yeah. but follow that up with something. How's the state of your heart? How are you actually doing? And like, I've got time and I would love to actually listen to you because I think we're like, I'm so busy. I'm da, da, da. It's like, no, that's not how you are. That's just a symptomatic thing of the choices that you've made in your life. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. I busy. Hate being, yeah. Oh. I hate being busy. No, my life is full. I have a full abundant life. I like it like that. That's how I thrive. Absolutely. I love that. And your clarification on that when I was listening also, I was just like, I love that. That is great. If you don't want to know how I am, don't ask. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Continue on. (laughs) Oh, love it. So you just launched a new course tackling, as you say, the tough stuff. How have you been able to take your pain take your experiences and utilize it. And as you also said, learn to take your pain and use it as rocket fuel in your own life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, here's the thing. Me and my girlfriend talked about this. Her name's Heather Borsma. She's my great friend, my life coach. We were in business together, but she shared this concept. Life is 50, 50. I was like, what? Life is 50, 50, 50% awesome. 50% shitty. And I struggled with that because I was like, wow, I want life to be awesome all the time. My life is awesome. I'm awesome. Things are awesome. But distill it down and, you know, call it 60, 40, 70, 30, 80, 20, 90, 10, 50, 50. The reality is, is that life is going to be really exceptional, really amazing, incredible mountaintop moments. And then it's going to be really, really hard. And if you're someone that can just coast along through the middle, kudos to you. You're I don't know if you're actually living then, mm-hmm. but like I'm living and I'm showing up. And in this concept that life is, you know, 50, 50, good and bad, because we know that the bad is guaranteed. That's just how it goes. People are dicks. People aren't patient. We're not kind. Our thoughts control all of this. I wanted to have a, a tool bag of resources that I could go do when I felt stuck or when I was in the darkness or when I was working through the hard things. And so often we're like, take my three-step process, take my simple five-step, you know, and you're like, oh, I just have to do these five things and life will be great. And it's like, no, that is not how it works. That's not how we operate. And I looked at the pillars that I kept going back to every time it got hard, every time we were navigating tough stuff. What were the things that I needed to do? What were the truths that I needed to tell myself? And that's where this course birthed from was like, these are the pillars that I go back to. In high school, I was in grade 11. I attempted suicide. I overdosed. I took a full bottle of prescription painkillers. I wanted to end my life. I was like, there's no purpose. And the thoughts, it was so dark. 
And I had an incredible family. I had a good life, but the things that I was telling myself, which is usually where we're stuck. It's not that life is that sucky. It's just the thoughts are that dark that I have to keep my mental health. I have to keep my thoughts, you know, in check and in reason, because otherwise I'll just go into this vortex, this downward spiral that feels impossible to get out. And that's where people get stuck is they do the same things. They tell themselves the same things, and then they don't ever live the life that they dream of, or it feels so impossible. And as much as life is hard, I'm living out my dream life. I love getting up and showing up for the day. I love watching my kids, even though they're driving me ever loving crazy right now, learning how to ride bikes and, you know, experimenting and all of these, the joy that they have. And I have this incredible marriage, but it's because I worked at it. Like it didn't just come. It was like hard. We were going to get a divorce. Like those are the things. And I just wanted to empower other people to say, here's some pillars that I think you can grab onto. Here's some tools. Here's some tangible things that I think that you can show up for and do and apply that I believe will help get you unstuck and help you find forward momentum. Because we go back to Lewiston, 179 days. Like if someone says 365, you probably, when's your birthday? Mine? Yeah. November 10th. Okay. So what's the date of November. November the 10th. Okay, so someone said to you, Brittany, probably not going to make November 10th. Like, this is it. Like, you're tapping out. You show up a whole lot differently. You take the risks. You do the trip. You, you know, make the memory. You sit present at dinner time with your family. And I just wanted people to find that freedom. And it doesn't mean that I'm perfect and that I've nailed this in. I'm constantly reminding myself. I'm constantly working on this. But that's part of growth and progress and figuring life out. And I just wanted to help people that felt stuck, that felt like grief and loss had weighed them down. The stories that I hear of loss and how people are just sitting in the sadness, like I'm like, stop the pity party. Let's go have a dance party and let's go live your life. Mm -hmm. There's so much to be had in in those hard times, right? The courage to show up for yourself, the courage to move forward from that and the lessons that you can take, I'm sure to grow. I think, as you said, I, you know, the people that are living 50, 50, you, you know, feel sorry for absolutely, because you're not allowing yourself to fully live. You're not allowing yourself to be present. And I agree with you. If I had till November 10th, what would my life look like right now? And how would I change that? We had some family circumstances in 2019 that were really difficult for us. And it definitely altered all of our perspectives as to how we show up every day. And a bit of a mantra is more one day, one day we can do this one day we will, but also one day is now. And today is the day that we make these choices to move forward and how we show up for that. Mm -hmm. So I totally agree with you. And I think that it's amazing that you're offering this course and this platform to work through those tough things because not enough people have that opportunity. And as you said, there's so many platforms that have the one, two, three steps. Well, that's not life. Life is not a, let's do this, this, and then like sail away. Right. Like that's not how it works. (laughs) God, if only it was that easy. If someone could bottle that up, I mean, they'd be a billionaire, literally (laughs) But like life doesn't work like that. So you have to look at like, what are pillars? What are things that I can fall back on time and time again? Mm -hmm. Love it. So Another thing that you have been busy doing, I don't know where you find all this time, (laughs) bring the joy. I'm almost done this book. I have loved it. I love your nudges, leaning into those nudges. So inspiring. Just 
every bit of your life and making it the abundant life that you have and bringing those joyful moments into it all. Where did you find not only the time, but just the, the drive to want to pen this all down? The drive. So first off, the book took me six years, start to finish six years. I think you can go and write a book. I probably could have written it. The majority of the book was written over two kind of key weekends, but it took six years, six years of doubt and shame and guilt and fear and stupid negative voices telling me, oh, who's going to read this? You know, and everybody being like, oh, how are you going to do this? And six years of writing chapters that didn't make it into the book of rewriting, recrafting, of raising funds because I'm self-published. Penguin Random House, Thomas Nelson, any of you who maybe happen to listen to this, I'm still waiting for a publisher to sign me. So only time I'm here, I'm waiting for the book deal. But it was six years. And I think there's power in just writing out our story. Like I wish everyone would do that. It was so therapeutic and so cathartic for me to like just process some of the emotion. I remember just sitting there. I have, it's called my writing playlist. I made it on Spotify and the music is so emotional and it takes me back to each one of the cafes or the hotels or the lobbies or the cabin that I wrote at even just early in the morning. And it was so therapeutic for me to process my story, process the moments. I mean, writing the chapter where I explained Lewiston's death, that was horrible and hard, but it also felt like I was lifting a weight off of kind of like that post-traumatic stress syndrome and being able to share that. And I think it helps other people maybe not be so afraid of death. And so the book started off, I wanted to write a book about the nudges I had to pursue my husband. I literally, if there was a worldwide award for best husband, it would be my best husband. Like he would win it hands down, hot Ronnie, you cannot hot Ronnie. Yeah. You cannot find a better partner than hot Ronnie. I mean, does he drive me crazy? You betcha. Does he load the dishwasher? Right. Not even fucking close. You know, like, <laughs> does he put the shit where I've organized and labeled and you know, no, but everything else about the man is like absolutely incredible. And so we laugh about the small stuff and I'll be like, remember the two glasses where I taught you where they go in the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, those, those go like one here and one there. I mean, he still hasn't figured it out, but like, we laugh about it. He's like, thank you for telling me for the 978th time. But that's I, not the important part of us, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> I felt this nudge to pursue this incredible man who I now marry and he's my life partner and my soulmate, my lover, my husband, you know, father to our children. But I wanted to share, like, it wasn't easy. Like the relationship should have been dead on the water. Ronnie should be dead. He had this drug overdose, you know, 11 years ago now, like should be dead from a meth overdose. Like, it's just crazy. And every time I wanted to give up on the relationship, I had this nudge to keep going. And I think we can apply the nudge in business and apply the nudge in parenting in whatever it is. And I just wanted to share like, what happens if we did all this? And in my head, I pictured the book being like turned into a Nicholas Sparks movie. Yes. Um, you know, where like Rachel McAdam plays me, of course. And like, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And I just started writing this. And then obviously it turned into like, just wanting to empower people to start looking for the nudge, the choice and the joy and how that brings abundance in our life. And so it was a six year long process. It was like messy. I self-funded. It was like, an 80 or $90,000 project. I still have an outstanding bill with my, the agency that did the manuscript with me, Esther, I owe you money. I know that. Thank you for your patience. And it's just been so incredible. And we've sold almost six or 7,000 copies 
And most books that get published won't sell over a thousand. So that for me, it's 7,000 copies doesn't sound like a big number, but it's pretty cool that it's out there. It's 7,000 hands that it's in you, the stories in here. I mean, you have me laughing, giggling. There's things I can so relate to. And then in the next chapter, like I'm in tears and being able to tap into so many emotions and be so relatable and open and honest and hilarious. And I've loved every minute. I'm almost done. I can't wait to complete this book. Absolutely. And I will definitely link it because I think that everyone needs to bring the joy. Do you have any pieces of advice for others in how to find that joy when they are feeling stuck? I started this thing in COVID where we started talking about the joy starters. And it was actually my speaking coach that was like, you know, I think you should incorporate this in your keynotes, you know, talking about the things that spark joy. So we call them joy starters. And I mean, a part of me, when you start looking at the definitions, you're like, oh, does that feel too materialistic or blah, blah, blah. But like, for me, a joy starter in the afternoon is having like a bubbly, like, it's just like simple. I'm like, oh God, I love it. Give me some carbonation. And like, what if you just turn your perspective and you're like, damn, this is awesome. You know, for me, it's like my favorite coffee mug. I think we all have a favorite coffee or tea mug in our thing where you're like, you'll wash it, you know, because it tastes the best in there. And I just started looking at these small little things. Like that's a joy starter, making my bed joy starter. I walk into my room. I don't feel stressed. I love how beautiful it looks. And so these small little things in our day or moments that we recognize that like can spark joy. And a part of that is choosing to allow to see it. And then a part of that is, is responding to the things that like, Oh, that's kind of awesome. Or like, Oh, it's sunny out. And it's been like super crappy weather here for the last two weeks. And we just had an inch of snow on Monday. Now it's sunny joy starter. And so stop looking for it to be the trip to Hawaii or that one day you'll be able to afford, you know, the house that you want to do. It's like, dang, okay. I'm just having my favorite tea here this afternoon. Like whatever it is. I think if we start looking for the small things, it just eventually compounds into the big things. I love that. And I think especially this year, there's something to learn in that through this COVID through, you know, there's so many people just waiting for it to move on. When can we move on with life? And it's, and it's like, well, we're still living life right now. And it's how you choose to show up for it. So I love that looking in your day, what you generally do that does make you happy, like move your body, go for a walk, you know, whatever that may be, have a shower, be able to wash your hair without screaming kids, like whatever that looks like. <laughs> totally. And And that's where people, I think, get it really confused. And, you know, if you're stuck, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, that's nice because you love your life and you can tell that, then today your only job is to grab a pen and paper and you say, what doesn't suck? So we're calling this a what doesn't suck list. It it was my best friend's therapist that told her this. So I can't, I wish I could claim it as my own idea. And I'm not going to tell who the therapist is for confidentiality reasons, but If you are struggling with joy, if you're saying, okay, this is hard, life sucks. I've been there. I've done it. What's good? Nothing's good. Our finances are crap. Our kids are driving us crazy. Blah, blah, blah. There's a long, you know, list to do. You can go there, but you can also go into the area where you say, what doesn't suck? Okay. What doesn't suck is, okay, we're still in our home. Oh, thank God. What doesn't suck is we got a mortgage deferral in the middle of the pandemic. So we don't have to sell our house. Blessing. What doesn't suck. I love my jean shirt. I've had this shirt for eight years and it's one of my favorite shirts. Like look for the things that just don't suck. And eventually I think that helps change the posture of your heart. Mm -hmm. And then you start to just look for those little things and those things become the joy starters. So if you are that dark, that deep pen to paper, five things on the what doesn't suck list. What doesn't suck. That is like a key informational session right there. 
I, mean, I think I might do a webinar on this thing. You're like, you're, you're that dark. And for this webinar, I did a webinar and it was a masterclass on power habits for navigating grief and loss. And over 725 people signed up for it. And my reach isn't that crazy. We promoted it for not even a week. And I'm just like, how many more people are hurting? How many more people are struggling? How many more people? And I just want to help them. I just want to hug them and be like, let's go do the things. Let's go live life. Absolutely. Mental health is a really big thing that's near and dear to my heart. So going through all of this, going through life in general period, but also for all of the, you know, the darks that you have seen and experienced, what do you do? What have you done for your mental health and how do you take care of yourself? Mm, I mean, amazing question. That's why we did this power habits. Cause it does, it affects your mental health. I mean, first and foremost, therapist for your past, a life coach for your future. So much of mental health stems around our thoughts. And then what we make those thoughts believe. So for example, you know, someone, you tell yourself a story about how you messed up or how you screwed up or whatever it is. And then it's like, well, what are you making that mean? When often we make it mean something that it doesn't even mean. And so for mental health, for me, it's like therapy and life coaching, boom, dealing with my past, plotting my future. I have a core group of people that like, when it gets dark and hard, I say, Hey guys, me over here, not doing good. Mental health's a little fucked. I'm going to need some support. And then they come to your rescue. And sometimes you just need a girlfriend. God bless your husband or your partner. But it's not the same as just like dumping on a bestie and just saying, I just need you. Me and my bestie have this rule. If it's critical, we'll go 911. I need two minutes. And we just verbally dump and vomit and just get it all out. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it's like a weight feels lifted. You're like, oh, and then we never sit in it. We never go, oh, this is the worst ever. But just to be able to share that with someone and say, this one walking through, and they don't try to fix it. There's no fixing. There's just like, that sucks. That's terrible. Because that's all we want. It's just that connection of like, oh, yeah, that does suck. Oh, that's horrible. Not like, well, if you do these five things, then it'll <laughs> fix it. And, and then, I think that's why people, you know, so often don't share or don't look for that because they don't want to be fixed. They just, it's like a journal. They don't want to just write it in a journal maybe, but they want to be able to speak it to someone so that it's, they're heard, yeah. but you don't want the journal to talk back to you. <laughs> I, I finally did this with my husband where I'm like, I'm going to tell you something and I don't want your solution. I just want you to lament with me and tell me it sucks. And so we've had this conversation. We did this Bible study about how to share openly in communication, which has made such a difference. But like, I'll be like, I have a problem and I actually want your advice on how you would fix it. Or I'm just like, can you just sit with me in the shit and say it sucks? And now he knows, like, he's like, do you want my advice or am I just sitting with you in the shit? And, then, <laughs> and it makes such a difference because we usually get irritated by the response of it. And then there's things like drinking enough water. I mean, eat the dang broccoli fuel your body, get the green juice, stop eating the bonbons. They don't make you feel better. The other day I was having a day. Um, I picked up two bags of candy. I never pick up candy. I picked up two bags and they didn't have gluten in them. And usually I can't buy candy because the third ingredient will be wheat. So I'm like, Oh, I, I can't even be tempted. Of course the candy was gluten-free. I start shoveling it into my face. <laughs> it make me feel better. Cause I feel like the sugar is just going to solve all my world problems. And I end up stopping myself. I take the bags of candy, I dump them out, and I just walk them out the window. So they're spewing down one of the roads in Calgary. I'm like, people are going to think I'm wacko. 
And so it's like, eat the healthy food. Don't turn to the sugar. Don't turn to the junk. It's eat. I mean, if you need to do it for a day. I think we can all relate to that though. (laughs) And then move your body. And then for me, it's my morning and my evening ritual, having a cup of tea in the evening with my husband, winding down, washing my face, taking care, like the self-care stuff. I feel better when I've had a shower, when my legs are waxed, when like you're not growing the hairy bush. For me, that's like my mind wants her bikini cleaned up. There's mm-hmm. small little things that start to flip the switch in our head. And so in terms of like navigating mental health, journaling, having a meditation practice. And then sometimes I just am like, I need to go for a drive. I'm going to blare some worship music and I'm just going to sing. And then sometimes it's like Disney in the car with the kids, but it's just small habits that have, I think helped me navigate through it. And when it does get really bad, I had a really rough go in fall. I reached out for help to medical professionals. I went and saw my naturopath first. And I think you have to do what's best for you. And she said, you might have to go on prescription medication if you stay this way. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. I thankfully was able to combat it with, you know, a healthy lifestyle and a bunch of, I was really deficient. And so it was manifesting in some other ways. I think it's like, go talk to a professional. If you're hurting and struggling and you, you know, you can't green juice your way out of it, reach out and ask for help. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Just having the outs and the resources and, and they are all there in different capacities for a reason. So never feel shame or fear in needing those there. I also loved your life coach. And I think that that's something that took me a while. And actually just recently I have like dove down that path. Because for so long, it's like, oh, well, why do I need a coach? Like, I'm not running a marathon. I'm not doing this or that. But like, it's so much more than that. It's someone that's holding you accountable to allow yourself to be better for yourself, to look inwards, to do that work. And everyone should do that work, I feel. It's not just because you need help running this business or you need help, as I said, running that marathon. You need help for you and at any point in your life. Well, and I mean, look at anyone that succeeds. Look at anyone who's successful. Look at anyone that's doing great things. They're not doing it on their own. They've got a team. They've got a coach. They've got a plan. They've got a strategy. And that is life. You can't just expect it to be great and hopefully wake up and it'll turn out okay. I wake up and I, I have a plan. I'm saying, okay, here's where we're going. This is why you have a financial advisor. You know what I mean? Or you spend the time doing the work. This is why you'd have a you know, person at the gym, whatever it is. There's a lot of power when you say, I'm going to allow for someone to help speak into my life and help me create the change I want. Yeah, for sure. So one last question for you. I know that you are approaching a big birthday for Lewiston. <laughs> yeah. And I want to hear all the things, Justin Timberlake, dance party. <laughs> Where did this come from? And what is the hopes here? Okay. If anyone knows JT on this podcast or somebody that knows JT, can you please let him know? I have been trying to reach out to the man for four and a half freaking years. So my girlfriend, Kirsty comes into the hospital. Lewiston's on the unit. And we had a Bluetooth speaker. And Justin Timberlake's song had just come out that year, Can't Stop the Feeling, from the movie Trolls. And it's a fun song. Like, I dare you not to dance to it. For I sure. Absolutely. Like, you know what I mean? We all started dancing and we had just finished doing Lewis's bath. And so I'm moving his little arms and we're doing, and it's just so fun. And so that sparked this daily dance party where it's like, you know what, if the kid's going to be stuck here, can't move, let's do our daily physio to this awesome song. And that snowballed and created this beautiful daily ritual, daily habit. You know, we invited the pharmacy team and the nurses and the unit clerks and we did all the things. So incredible and amazing. And so that was his song. 
at the funeral, we danced our way out of his funeral to that song. Like it just has become our theme song. That's the song we sing happy birthday, that song cues. We, you know, have confetti guns and people around the world will be like, Lewison's song came on and they'll be in Australia. They'll be in London, in England. My best friend was in London, England at the, like it was like late at night and some like factory driver worker, like in a cube van had his window rolled down in London right before Christmas and is blasting, can't stop the feeling. She called me. I'm like, isn't it the middle of the night? She's like, dude, you're never going to guess what happened. The song came on. And so the song just keeps popping up, you know, Often when I'm struggling, I'll be in a store and like the song comes on and I'm like, what? Okay. Like we're in the grocery store and they don't play a lot of JT in the grocery store. So it's just been this incredible, you know, way that Lewiston shows up that we honor, we celebrate and we dance to it. And so in my heart, in my gut, I thought last year was for sure the year I had contacted what I believe to be Justin Timberlake's one of his best friends. And I was like, can you please share this video? And he hearted the message. Like he got the message and received it. So I was like, this is it. He's going to show up on one of my Instagram lives and he's going to surprise me. And we sent this video, we had over like 56,000 people share and like the video and view it and like do all the things, nothing. But the whole thing is, is that this is Lewiston's theme song and we would love to have the opportunity just to, I just want a conversation with Justin. I mean, secretly, I'd like to be on stage on tour with him and dance (laughs) face in the background. And they're like, we're donating all of this concert proceeds to spinal muscular atrophy. I mean, that would be the ultimate dream. But I think just like an opportunity to have a conversation and tell them that the song changed our life and people here, especially in Calgary and, you know, that follow our journey know that as Lewiston's song. So it's a beautiful song. I still believe one day I will meet him. No idea when I'm going into year five of this battle of trying to get in touch with Justin Timberlake or Ellen or Jimmy Fallon or somebody to connect me, but I won't lose hope. It'll happen. I believe that you believe it so much that it will happen. Genuinely. Absolutely. And that's amazing that the song just comes on in those moments that you need it. That's Lewiston's nudges to you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending so much time here and being so open and honest. I loved every minute and you're just such a joy. So thank you for bringing the joy today. Where can we all find you? I will obviously link all the notes from Bring the Joy from your book to Lewiston Label to everything. So where else can we find you? You can The two places that I hang out the most often is on Instagram. That's my favorite social platform of choice. I love it. It's just the Jessica Jansen, Jansen with a Z-J-N-Z-E-N. Or on my website, there's a form on there. You can send me an email, happy to connect, slide into my DMs. But we've got an incredible community of people that are struggling with tough stuff and just want to see some, you know, joy and hope and gain some tools. And I think that's what I ultimately use my platform for is raise a butt ton of money, try and get in touch with Justin Timberlake. But most importantly is just share what I'm walking through, what I'm working through to hopefully help lighten somebody else's load on this journey in life. So love to connect. And if you're looking to buy a copy of my book, Amazon is an amazing place. They have a distribution center in BC and I know that it is stocked. So you can order books from there or, you know, there's Barnes and Noble if someone's in the U S or our website. So a ton of ways to kind of get connected and see what I'm up to. Oh, thank you so much again. Thank you. And to everyone listening, make sure you listen to those nudges as Jessica would say, and bring the joy every day. Thanks so much. 
Thank you so much for tuning in today. I had such a great conversation with Jessica. It truly was an honor to get to know her a little bit more. And I hope that you all enjoyed today's conversation as well. If I can take anything, it is definitely to live for today, to show up for myself, to bring all the joy and lean into the nudges. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it. See you next week. You can find me on Instagram at MomSweatSam.